As an author and as a physician, he has dedicated his life to encouraging others and helping others to experience better health. He's Dr. Neil Nedley. I'm John Bradshaw. This is our conversation. Dr. Neil Nedley, thank you so very much for joining me. I appreciate it. John, it's great being here. Thanks for having me. You're a physician. Has anybody ever asked you this question? Do you enjoy being a doctor? Absolutely. What do you enjoy about it? I mean, enjoy about it. Here's why I'm asking you. My son at one stage was thinking of being a doctor. I spoke to numerous doctors and mentioned that 50% of them, and I'm talking about 50% of about 18 or 20 doctors, said, tell them not to bother. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just that directly. Wow. The other said, with the exception of one who said something different, tell him he should if he really loves it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. You, no, you, I would, you enjoy I would it. Give, oh, yeah. And yeah. I would give anyone you know, who is thinking about it and has the ability to do it a strong encouragement. What do you enjoy about the practice of medicine? Well, I enjoy most everything about it, but I also, I mean, the most enjoying aspect is change lives yeah. and seeing lives transformed for the better. And, you know, it doesn't really get any better uh, than that when we can be a instrumental uh, aspect of changing someone's life that was in shambles and taking it to a life that is successful and fulfilled and full of health. However you define modern times, whether that's from 1925 or 1950 or whatever the case might be, like modern, you could even go back further depending on how you define modern. We've increased in knowledge, scientific knowledge gone through the roof, medical knowledge gone through the roof as well. We're sicker than we've ever been in modern times. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? We, I mean, we shouldn't be. So why are we so We shouldn't sick? be. Longevity is going down in yeah. this country. Um, considerably um, the last few years. And what that, we put that never down to? happened before. No, it's no, not even happened. Deaths of despair. Deaths of despair are changing that whole aspect of things. So opioid deaths, mm-hmm. suicidal deaths, deaths due to alcohol, you know, non-disease-related deaths are on the increase. Do we know why? There are certain countries, I'm a citizen of one of them, wrestling with an absolute suicide epidemic for example mm-hmm. suicide's always been an issue but, but in some places now it's just absolutely what we think is out of control oh yeah do we know why oh yeah i mean we we ha- we know why i mean it has to do with the brain and chemistry and feelings of hopelessness that come about with some of those um, changes uh, the thing that is worrisome is, you know, when the economy was up, we were seeing suicide rates go up, and we hadn't seen that before in this That's country. a strange thing, isn't it? And then when the economy goes down, of course, suicide rates go up even further. But we live in a time where people have got every reason to be hopeful. I understand this uh, economic pressures, and but, but, I mean, look, the Great Depression had economic pressures and, and various eras from then until now. We've had our, our troughs and our peaks do we know why there's such hopelessness? The Internet is one of the big reasons. Internet, smartphones, technology. The more we look at images, 
the more hopeless we become mm -hmm. uh, in regards to our own measuring up. Uh, and the more we look at certain ways that the media portray certain uh, subject lines, uh, it can also drive us to um, utter uh, hopelessness and thinking that we really can't do anything about the way we're feeling. You deal extensively with depression and anxiety recovery. Mm -hmm. We've talked before about how dramatic uh, the results are that, that you have seen and witnessed. And you've mm -hmm. made the statement that 99%, over 99% of mm -hmm. people who would be the classically depressed people today mm -hmm. can find a way out of that if they have mm -hmm. given the right tools. Mm -hmm. What are some other areas you, you, you've worked extensively in many areas of health. What are some other areas where we could see a turnaround, where there is hope, where people don't have to be statistics? What are some addressable, reversible, preventable health challenges that are common in society today? Well, I think um, we haven't done as well as we could with cancer treatments, for instance. Mm. Uh, cancer is the leading cause of death in people under the age of 85 in this country. It even surpasses coronary artery disease. And cancer treatment has made some strides in regards to, you know, certain chemotherapy agents and immunotherapy and things like that. But the area that's missing is the diet and lifestyle approaches and how adding that to more traditional approaches can produce sometimes exponentially improved results. Mm -hmm. If someone came to you and they said, Doctor, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a typical male-female, I, I, I consume the standard American diet, so that means I'm going to die young, I'm probably going to get cancer or heart disease, uh, but right now you know, I'm, I'm 28, my life is ahead of me, but I've read, the, I've read the signs, and that's where I'm heading because that's where people head. Doctor, help me. I don't want to die young from this or that disease. I know you cannot guarantee. You wouldn't even suggest that you can. But you would say, aha, I've got three or four or five or six suggestions for you that are going to really increase your chances of living a good long life without picking up cancer, heart disease, diabetes, those lifestyle diseases in many cases but not all mm -hmm. what are those three or four or five or six things that you're going to advise a person one is a diet very high in antioxidants but i don't know what an antioxidant is so how, how do what do i do first i got to google antioxidants <laughs> yeah that's right well yeah. uh, centering in on the top 10 fruits and vegetables that are high in the antioxidants would be very healthy yeah okay what, what, what do antioxidants do antioxidants prevent the changes in the genetic material um, from, you know, producing the cancer cell to begin with. Mm. And so that's a large uh, preventive way. Now, okay. antioxidants, interestingly, in the plants, are there to fight diseases in the plants. And oh, so that's interesting. you're going to have more antioxidants, for instance, in organic foods where we're not fighting the disease for the plant. And so that plant builds up more resistance in fighting the disease. And uh, then when we eat that plant, we end up with more of those antioxidants that are going to protect us hmm. uh, from invaders and, and uh, even help us recover from an infection sooner if we have a higher antioxidant load. So the idea is to eat your way to better health. 
What are some of those foods? You mentioned the antioxidant foods, but what would they be? Uh, the greens yeah. are very high in it. Spinach, kale. Uh, garlic is the number one antioxidant vegetable. Mm. Uh, but, you know, broccoli's in yep. the top five. Beets are an excellent uh, source. I've heard blueberries are high in antioxidants. They're high as far as the fruits are concerned. Yep. So, yeah, the, the top antioxidant fruits are all in the berry family. Mm. And interestingly, the non-berry that has the most antioxidants is a humble fruit that people don't necessarily think of, but it's the plum. Oh, is that so? Yeah, plum is the highest. Huh. Uh, of course, you know, citrus is good and cherries are good. Even red grapes are up there in the top ten. Mm. Uh, kiwis actually uh-huh. in the top ten Maybe. as well. So, yeah. yeah. So eat, eat greens. Do, do, what, do what your mother told you, right? Mm-hmm. Eat green vegetables mm-hmm. and plenty of fruits and, mm-hmm. and find out those ones that are high in antioxidants that will really help you. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty simple, yeah. Pretty yeah, pretty simple. Yeah, and okay. so then uh, that's one thing that you advise. Exercise, exercise. How physical good is exercise? exercise? How good is it? Uh, physical exercise is very good. It, it I, I, prevents I, cancer. Yep. It prevents heart disease. It actually treats mental illness. Uh, physical fitness is actually better for our brains than it is our body. I saw. I saw something. A guy in line saying, "Hey, I got something for you. It will help you with." <laughs> and then he listed. Right, you'll lose weight. You'll 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 be less depressed. Your mm-hmm. sex life will improve. You'll you'll your your heart rate will do this. I mean, every last thing you could think of. Yeah. And I'm listening to this guy go. Where's he going with this? Yeah. I should have known. He paused at the end and said, "Exercise. Exercise helps yeah. with everything there ever was." Yeah. There are precious few people who can't get exercise. And exactly. I, I don't mean to marginalize folks who have some kind of significant physical disability or, or health problem, but most of us can get more exercise, can't we? Exactly. And that's, uh, that's a very positive thing. Yeah. Another thing is early to bed, early to rise. That one might be a little tougher to do, but we make more melatonin when we do that, and melatonin is the most potent antioxidant known to mankind. Oh, is that so? 30 times more potent than vitamin E. And we make double the amount when we go to bed early. In addition to that, our cells can make melatonin in the daytime to protect our mitochondria. Melatonin being an antioxidant keeps your energy-producing cells going. And melatonin is made by our cells in the daytime in response to infrared light. You don't get infrared you know, indoors. Right. You have to be outdoors, but yeah. you can get it from sunrise to sunset. You know, we used to think the sun was only helpful for us when it was direct enough to produce vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Yes, vitamin D is healthy for us. That's sure. another aspect of very good health. It's cancer preventive. It helps with mental health. But what we're just finding out is the even more powerful effects of infrared light. And so that means spending more time outdoors. And the additional benefit of outdoor exercise is that we eat, there are oils emitted from the green plants that have a positive effect on our health. We call it forest bathing. Yes, yes, yes. Very big in Japan. Right, exactly. I, I recall uh, a Christian author wrote once upon a time about the healing fragrance of the pine. Yes, 
So there was absolute science in that statement, wasn't there? Absolutely, yeah. Pine needle extract. It's been shown to have antidepressant activity, anti-anxiety activity. I would love to have cut the quote, copied the quote, remembered the quote, but I read where somebody wrote, and and, and I I won't hazard to mention the amount of time lest I embarrass myself by being woefully wrong. (laughs) But after being in nature... For a very short period of time, there is a measurable positive physiological effect on the body. Yes. That's dramatic, isn't it? Yes. So just walking in the woods. Walking in the woods, yeah. You get infrared in the woods because of the reflection even off of the green trees. When you're walking in the city, the sun will reflect off the buildings, but no infrared's coming off of that reflection. Yeah. So. So what about these folks... Almost wear it as a badge of courage. I can get by on four hours of sleep a night. I can make it on five hours. I only sleep for four hours and 45 minutes every night. I mean, there are some, you know, hard-nosed business types. They, they, they brag about working every hour that was ever given. Can anybody get by on four or five hours a night, really? I mean, I'm not saying can they exist. Can a person actually get by on that? Studies show you need six, minimum. And if you're not getting it, what happens? Uh, if you're not getting it, you're not getting those toxins washed out appropriately. Mm. And so what ends up happening is for you to be able to try to function in the daytime, you're having to use artificial stimulants, mm. you know, caffeine, something else. And so that's what sleep does, right? Washes the, the toxins out of the, is it the brain? Is yes. it the whole body system? It, it's, the, it's particularly the brain. Mm. So sleep is most beneficial for the brain. So, yeah, you need four hours minimum. Now, when people come to us, we have a lot of insomnia uh, people that come to us. They can't sleep. And, uh, of course, that can cause depression and anxiety in and of itself, and they realize my problem is I can't sleep. So we will make sure they're getting four hours with us while we set their body clock with the blue light in the morning, the blue light from the, uh, the same wavelength of blue sky, 30 minutes of exposure of that, first thing in the morning will actually help you to get more rest at night, more melatonin, and after a week you'll wake up with more energy. And so um, as long as they're getting four hours during that week, they'll still be able to learn, they'll still be able to function, they'll be able to do good things. But when that circadian rhythm gets fixed, then they'll go up to six or more hours. Hmm. and uh, then they'll be able to function far better. Now, you said people who come to us. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the us here. Who's us? Well, us is Nedley Health. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Nedley uh, Health has a residential treatment program out of Weimar University. And so that's where we, uh, we run our program. And so that's the therapeutic and educational program all combined into one there. Somebody participates in that program, what are they going to experience? I mean, the, the nuts and bolts of the experience. What, what, what do you do to them? Oh, well, uh, they will be exposed to that light first thing in the morning. Uh-huh. Uh, they'll wake up at the same time every morning, uh, and they will exercise pre-breakfast. We're okay. going to work on getting them more fit. Then they'll have a very healthy and tasty breakfast. In fact, it'll be so healthy and tasty that they'll want to eat breakfast every day after they leave us. Uh-huh, there you go. And uh, so many people don't. Exactly. Yeah. And breakfast is the best meal of the day. Speaking about both physical and mental health, it's, it's the best meal of the day. Mm. Uh, and then uh, after that, we'll have a uh, mind-body-spirit uh, um, presentation, a lecture. Uh, and then after that, we'll have individual appointments. So 
They might experience a massage. They might have hydrotherapy. They might have an appointment with a therapist or with the physician. Uh, they might be doing some sort of analysis in regards to, you know, patterns of thinking or biochemical analysis uh, with the lab or things like that. And uh, then, of course, we'll have a very um, healthy lunch. Uh, normally, we have another um, lecture or presentation on something very exciting about their uh, mind and body. And then a group session after that, coaching them, how are we going to implement this in our mm. home? How are we going to be able to do this on a regular basis to take advantage of that? And then more individual appointments until either the evening meal or not. Some people actually do better physically and mentally to be on an intermittent fast where they fast in the evening. After seven days, they won't even be hungry in the evening. Uh, and they'll have ketosis uh, every day, which helps with brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And then in the evening, we have another uh, mind-body uh, spirit presentation uh, that uh, helps them put all of this uh, together. Then they'll retire at eight or so. They can, um, you know, be in bed by nine or maybe do stretching or other types of things on their own. And uh, then we have another uh, process the next day. So each day is completely uh, different, but it has a very similar bedtime, wake up time, meal times are on time. And, uh, and a great insight that people will get in regards to how their own body and brain works and what they can do to optimize it. People who come through this program, what kind of results are they experiencing? And we don't have long for you to answer this question, but they are they're getting off medication, they're, see, they're, they're sleeping better. What are some of the things that they're experiencing? Well, they're experiencing increase in energy. Uh, they're experiencing uh, far better sleep. Uh, they uh, don't have excessive fear or worry uh, anymore. And their interest in life goes up. And they go from a hopeless uh, feeling that their condition is hopeless to now um, full of hope. Uh, in addition, they're able to manage their emotions when things don't go well anymore. And so if they have, you know, some things that happen at work or happen in the home that are not what they would prefer, it doesn't, um, you know, cause catastrophic, uh, you know, aspects to their own mental health. Yeah. And their focus and concentration goes up. So their work performance goes up. Their ability to um, read and retain uh, is improved. Uh, and also if they're in academics... Their GPA will go up, and, and we'll see uh, some positive benefits there. No longer thinking about death or, you know, uh, or thinking that death would be preferable, as many do, before they come to the program. Uh, and now they have a feeling of no longer being worthless, but actually an, an identity that's very positive and recognizing their own ability to be able to help change their families and communities in a positive way. Mm, mm, mm. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God tells us that He is a, a great physician. And we might look at some of what God says about health uh, in just a moment, the incredible promises that He makes to us. Thanks for being part of this conversation with Dr. Neil Nedley. I'm John Bradshaw, and we will be back with more in just a moment. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God. 
and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. It is written dot study. Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides, 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. Itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. My guest is Dr. Neil Nedley. Dr. Nedley, you approach health, uh, the treatment of patients, from, um, I'm going to say, a holistic point of view, and I don't know whether that word is used or, or misused these days. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But you're looking at the whole person. Mm-hmm. You also factor in a spiritual component when mm-hmm. you're looking at an individual, mm-hmm. recognizing that we are spiritual beings, mm-hmm. uh, you could, I suppose, just choose to focus on only spiritual. But you connect, it'd be odd for a physician to do that, but you connect spiritual with physical, realizing it impacts upon the emotional. Mm-hmm. It suggests to me something about the way that we were made, something about the way that we are created. Mm-hmm. When you look into the Bible, the mm-hmm. Bible has a lot to say about good health. Absolutely. Why Why is it that, maybe we're answering this as we go along, but why is it that God spends any time at all talking about us from a physical, a health point of view? Well, he said in the Bible, I came to give you life and to give it more, more abundantly. abundantly. That's right. And so he is about life. The only portion of the Bible he wrote himself, the Ten Commandments, uh, those are ten executive limitations he puts on us one of those executive limitations is thou shalt not kill yes and if that's the case uh, the principle behind that is life life sure so everything about god he brought life uh, to this planet uh, created life and he wants it to be happy and abundant and full and that's what the bible is about the word of god you got John writing in the little book of Third John, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. That's yes. an interesting thing for a Bible writer to write. I yes. believe many Christians even never step back and realize that God cares anything at all about their physical health, but certainly he does. Absolutely. Architected the human body in this incredible design, and the body interacts with all of the elements around it, and... When we get things out of whack, out of balance, it doesn't ever work out well for the human being. There's a spiritual component that seems to impact good health. Mm -hmm. I'll ask you about prayer in a minute, but I want to ask you about the devotional life. And ask you how you see that playing into good health, or maybe how you see the Bible seeing that. Well, interestingly, there are studies that have shown that in order for us to be able to change our lifestyle for the better and stick with those changes... Three to one positive to negative thoughts are necessary. 
Now, well, the average person that sees me in a, as a patient who's diseased, 80% of their thoughts are negative and 95% of their thoughts are repetitive. And you so could, we've got to change that. We've you got get stuck in a vortex, couldn't you? Of, of absolutely. N- this cycle of negative thinking. Yes. Yeah. So much so that it can cause mental illness. Yes. The typical person. Give us some examples of this because this sounds real good, but it's the sort of thing that I could listen to you say without ever applying it to my life. Let's apply it to my life or to an individual's life. What are these negative, what are the negative thoughts? You, you work with people and their thoughts very intimately. So what are the thoughts that are trapping people or the thought patterns? What are they? Well, emotional reasoning is a big one. This is um, because I feel this way, I am this way. Mm-hmm. If I feel overwhelmed and helpless, therefore my problems are impossible to solve. Uh, you know, if, It's if pretty it, easy to feel overwhelmed, though, isn't it, and therefore get stuck in this hopelessness thing. Exactly. Yeah. Mental filter is another one where we're just looking at only one side of you know, the equation or only one side thinking that there's nothing good in my life when there actually are positive things. Right, 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 right. Um, And then we also tend to magnify, you know, we tend to major in minors and minor in majors. Mm -hmm. And that's a big one, magnification and minimization. So you can teach that to somebody? You can teach somebody how to think positively rather than negatively? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess ultimately every thought is a choice, right? Every thought is a choice. People don't realize it because they have negative automatic thoughts. We call them gnats. Mm. And so one of the ways in improving the gnats is through a devotional life. You know, the Bible says, set your affections on things above, above sure. not on things of the earth. Yeah. You know, if our families are, you know, in shambles and, you know, we don't have a job and... We're comparing ourselves among others in this false world of social media. You can see how we can be in a swirl of negative thoughts. And if everything around you seems to be negative, one of the things that can help you is to set your affections on things above that are real. Mm. It's not just fantasy world. It's actually very real world. And when we get that bigger perspective, which is what the Bible gives us, we can have very positive thoughts. And we can start changing that 80% negative into, and the Bible isn't all positive. There are some, some negative things there, but we put that in perspective. And so once we can get three to one positive versus negative, lifestyle changes will occur and they will stay. And so a devotional life is very important for someone living in a bad environment. I think it's important for everybody. Sure. I, 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 um, if I'm not doing my devotions, I'll get out of balance. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, sleep, exercise, and the devotional life, those are three things that I'm always uh, making sure that I've got going for me because I will get out of balance if I don't do those three things well. And so, but for a person who's in a more negative environment than me, it's even more important for them to have that devotional life so they can set their affections on things above. Walk me through this. What, what you said, I think, is profoundly important. But can you, can you help a person right now walk through identifying an, a, a destructive thought, and therefore mm-hmm. a destructive thought pattern? Mm-hmm. How does that person see that and intervene in that moment and kick that back and instead turn in a positive direction? Can you, can you walk me through the nuts and bolts of that? 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, since we're talking about uh, a biblical uh, example, sometimes we need uh, help with this. Uh, but Elijah got depressed. Yes, he did. Because one of his big issues was he was the only one that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Now, he should have thought, I'm the only one I know of. Right. There's got to be others. Sure. But he just knew he was the only one. The only one. And God had to help him with that. Right. And say, you know, Elijah, that's an overgeneralization. You're not only a little bit wrong, you're wrong by a factor of 7,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's way wrong. Yeah. And so once he was able to gain that perspective, he no longer thought that, and he was able to correct that thought and get out of his depression. Something you talk a lot about is emotional intelligence. Yes. What is that? Emotional intelligence is our ability to understand our emotions and the emotions of others and respond to those emotions in a healthy way. For example... So if someone is easily, you know, gets upset as a result of someone cutting them off in traffic. Sure. Good example. They don't have emotional intelligence. But no, wait, no. (laughs) Wait. The traffic is intense. (laughs) I am running late. Right. That unintelligent person (laughs) shouldn't be doing what they're doing. They cut me off. You know, I could have just about bumped that car. He could have killed me. Right. It's perfectly reasonable for me to lose my cool. I will wind the window down, honk the horn, yell, and shake my fist. Because after all, he could kill somebody out there on the road. Well, that's the thoughts that cause the anger and the frustration. And it's really easy to justify. And very easy to justify. So help me to stop that. Help that person who's going, he just... He just read the script of my of my every day of my morning commute <laughs> how do we do something about that because look life is so frustrating and that 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 person did drive recklessly zipped in right in front of me and I almost hit him and who knows what would have happened and well there's there's a couple of ways yeah. of which uh, I would recommend <laughs> yeah. that you do okay one is you don't know for sure why he did that you don't know who this person is at all he might have someone, you know, who needs to be taken to an emergency room of a local hospital that's on death's door in the back seat that you can't see. And uh, that may be why he's driving that way. It may be unlikely, but you don't know for sure. Uh, but also, uh, you need to realize that you can, you know, he didn't hit you. He didn't cause uh, you to have physical, you know, damage and that you can actually stand that. We're not asking you to like it, but uh, uh, what you don't like, you actually can stand. There's only one thing a human being cannot stand, and those are things that lead to death, Mm -hmm. uh, or death itself we can't stand. But to get ourselves all riled up over things that we can actually tolerate and stand is not helping us. And so uh, we have to look at it two ways. We don't know what was in the heart of that person or what was in the mind. And if we had those same things going on, perhaps we would act very similarly to what they just did. Mm. And, and secondly, uh, he didn't hit me. Uh, he hasn't injured me. And I can, I can take this, and I don't have to get myself all riled up over it. Here's what I think is true. 
I could probably tell you about 50 people around me who are really emotionally unintelligent. They don't have good <laughs> emotional intelligence. That's the easy part. Right. How do I in- identify my own lack of emotional intelligence? How do you go about doing this self-inventory and saying, you know, brother you got or sister, you've got some growing to do. It's not the easiest thing, but I don't mean just that from a pride humility aspect. I mean, how easy is it, it's clearly necessary, to be able to identify your own lack of emotional intelligence. You can't have your spouse telling you all day long because, <laughs> you know, that typically won't end up in a good place. How do we do that reflection to see honestly where we are and where we might have growth areas? Well, there are several ways. Uh, One way, of course, is taking an emotional intelligence test. Easy enough to find and do? Uh, They're a little difficult. You can find them. uh, You know, we we have helped uh, develop one that's been standardized and been very helpful. It's called the DAT test, and you can take that online. There is some cost to it. But it will not only tell you your emotional intelligence, but it will tell you areas that are impairing your emotional intelligence that you can change. That sounds important. So uh, that's the the DAT test, D-A-A-T. Another uh, thing that can also be helpful on that is back to the devotional life. Okay. You know, when we are reading the Word of God and we have prayed that God help us to understand that, when we see a command, instead of just reading over it, pray and ask God am I compliant with that command? Mm -hmm. And if he convicts you that you're not, then make a commitment. When you see a promise, don't just read the promise. Claim the promise. Claim the promise. And those things will actually improve your emotional intelligence. You know, we're told that the spirit of truth is the comforter. Yes. God, uh, Christ said when he went to heaven that he would send the spirit of truth as the comforter. And how that works is when we are reading truthful material that the Bible has, the truth can convict us. And of course, that's the role of the Holy Spirit to uh, convict us. A convict is someone who's declared guilty. And that is something to recognize in our devotional life. Hey, I am guilty of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't just feel bad about yourself. Now, Make a commitment to change. God, I ask you to forgive me for things that I haven't seen that I've been doing that are hurting myself and others and help me to be able to think differently about this and act differently about it. And that's a great way of improving your emotional intelligence. I wonder, too, uh, about emotional intelligence. Um, As I stated, it's maybe easier to see somebody else's shortcomings oh, it is. Most people do not see their own shortcomings. If we go to the Bible, I just wonder what you would think of this. You read of Jesus, you see Jesus. Mm-hmm. And surely in seeing Christ and understanding Jesus, you will see you'll see a little bit of yourself. You mm-hmm. know, you see Jesus who was so patient, so kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it didn't rail against people, never got into uh, heated debates. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to see yourself in the light of that so we're all we're all sinners and we come short of the glory of god mm-hmm. not a one of us can claim to be 
like Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was the most emotionally intelligent human being ever. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. So how do we approach that? What do you do when you see your shortcomings and you feel like, man, I'm such a poor Christian, I'm such a a, a loser of a human being? There's got to be a lot of honesty involved here. Mm-hmm. David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Mm-hmm. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Now, mm-hmm. fortunately, God doesn't show you all your shortcomings at once. You're right. But in his, mercy, yeah, right. in his mercy, he'll show you some. Right. Instead of being discouraged, doctor, mm-hmm. what do you do when this is an emotional issue and you may see, I'm just s- such a poor excuse for a Christian? What to do then so as not to be completely overcome with guilt and so forth? Well, ask God to help you to change in the way that he is convicting you to change uh, based on that. I mean, that's actually a very wonderful thing when we start to recognize our own defects. The problem is, you know, if if we don't correct our mistakes, we're doomed to repeat them. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and so we want to be enlightened. I mean, David's prayer is my prayer as well. Uh, you know, if I may not see any defects in myself, God, you know me better than I know myself. Point out areas where I need to improve. And uh, as and he will help us with that process if we understand where we need to improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of, of, of emotional health, uh, emotional intelligence, you, you, uh, we've seen more of this being discussed in recent times. Mm-hmm. We didn't see this 50, 40, 30, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. How has there been a shift to embrace this? My question is, where did this come from? That now we're talking about this, whereas before we didn't think to talk about it. Or did we talk about it using different words in, in days gone by? Oh, we definitely talked about it in, in different words. You know, the, the Bible uh, mentions it in different words. The mm-hmm. actual wor- uh, you know, phrase emotional intelligence was coined in 1934. That's a long time ago. Um, but it was really popularized by Daniel Goleman in 1990 when he wrote a book by that title uh-huh. and then talked about all the benefits of emotional intelligence. And, of course, it's been growing uh, since that time. It's the measurement that seems to be most connected with having a happy, fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. It continues to grow. Are people catching on to this and realizing that this is a constructive way of of dealing with real baseline issues in a person's life? It is growing, fortunately, and uh, it's growing to the point where, you know, uh, I've been asked to develop a curriculum K through 12 uh, to enhance the emotional intelligence of our young people to set them up for success, you know, for the rest of their life. You talked to me about this. We've, We've discussed this very briefly, but what you said to me one time was, uh, the the government of a U.S. territory mm-hmm. is where did this come from? That that a, a territorial government mm-hmm. would say we need to deal with emotional intelligence, emotional health. They reach out to to you to Nedley Health to shepherd them with this. It seems like an unlikely thing for a government to busy itself with, but a remarkably positive and productive thing. So how did this come about? Well, it came about as a result of the judicial system being overwhelmed. Well, which is true everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And so they recognize, you know, violence is an all-time high, family violence. We're having to have these drug courts, all Mm -hmm. this substance abuse. And one of the individuals that had been attending our Emotional Intelligence Summit, uh, who was the news anchor that was connected with both 
uh, political parties uh, had been coming to our EQ summit, and she says, I know how you can solve all this and prevent all this. It's by enhancing the emotional intelligence of our people. Mm -hmm. And says, well, how is that going to happen? Well, it'll have to happen through education, but uh, brought me there to speak to the the government officials. And uh, after speaking to them and showing them the the data and information, they became convinced enough to uh, ask me to write the entire um, curriculum for the K through 12 schools. That's a huge job. And uh, it's been piloted and uh, it's uh, been very successful and now they're wanting it to go to every grade. So what kind of results were seen? Oh, they're now emphasizing brain health. Uh, Before, the students did not think it was very important to emphasize overall brain health and they made some very positive changes in their diet and their exercise and their activities to enhance their frontal lobe. In addition, uh, they are now not being controlled by their emotions. Beforehand, it would say if I got angry, uh, I almost couldn't think of anything else. Now, if they do get angry, they're able to still be productive and think of other things and put this in perspective. They uh, are no longer bored with life. The, the boredom uh, uh, went down dramatically of, uh, of our young people. And on top of that, they found that they were able to forgive others far more readily. They had a real problem forgiving beforehand, and now they're more forgiving. They express more positive emotions, gratitude, uh, and, uh, in a, and they also were getting better sleep. Uh, they were going to bed early. Uh, they were uh, getting outside more, all of these things to enhance overall brain health. And that occurred in just a 10-week course. Just 10 weeks. Yes. Quite phenomenal. Okay, two things I'm going to ask you about just after the break. One is forgiveness, and the other is the work that you're doing with Weimar. Uh, certainly wonderful things are happening there. Yeah. Uh, I hope you'll stay with us beyond the break. We'll be back with more from Doc and Nedley and our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. Unfortunately, athletes do it all the time. Runners, swimmers, wrestlers, and more in their quest to be the best resort to taking performance-enhancing drugs. They do it because without the drugs, they wouldn't be good enough to win. Feeling they need extra help, they cross a line, often leading to disgrace. Christians do something similar. What happens when, in your Christian experience, you're not good enough? Join me for Good Enough and discover the secrets to spiritual success. You don't have to fail as a believer, and you don't have to resort to pretense or cheap gimmicks in your walk with Christ. Learn how you can be all you want to be and all God wants you to be. Discover where the source of power is for believers and how you can unleash that power in your life. Good Enough, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Dr. Neil Nedley. And I told you a moment ago, Dr. Nedley, I wanted to ask you about forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a powerful, potent tool. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you see forgiveness fitting into healing and health? Have you seen it? Do you see examples of this? Oh, yes. It's It's the way out of anger and bitterness. And, uh, you know, we have a tendency when we're wronged or we feel we've been wronged 
to either get um, angry and have that anger directed at, at others uh, or to have the anger directed inward, which leads to depression and hopelessness, uh, or go the pathway of bitterness. Uh, and so in fallen human nature's standpoint, there isn't really a way out of that when we've been wronged so severely. But there is a way, and that way is through forgiveness. I think a lot of unforgiveness comes from people deriving a little bit of joy at making the other person suffer. You wronged me. I, I should hold that against you so that in some perverse way I can feel like you are paying for it. You mm-hmm. are suffering, even though they're not. Right. No one that you refuse to forgive suffers. That Most of the time they don't even know that you have this axe to grind. They've gone on with their life as though nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's extraordinarily unproductive. How can a person learn to forgive? Because forgive, in the Bible we are told that God will not forgive us. Mm-hmm. if we don't forgive others. Mm-hmm. I don't think that means we are forgiven because we forgive, but we're certainly forgiven as we forgive. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that person who says, yeah, I really ought to forgive my brother for what happened 47 years ago, but I've just never done it. How does someone forgive? Well, we need to recognize what forgiveness is and isn't. Yes. Forgiveness is not saying that what they did was okay. Correct. Or that, you know, it's no big deal. Uh, we don't forgive people for doing right things or neutral right. things. We forgive them for doing wrong things. So for, for you know, in f- the act of forgiving them, we're actually pointing out the wrong. So uh, let's be aware of that. And then secondly, forgiveness is letting go of the hurt and pain and the issues that this has caused me to have in regards to my own emotions and giving that over to God and letting God handle that aspect. Otherwise, we are letting that person control us. That's what happens, right? That person that, that you don't forgive ends up having an outsized influence in your life. Exactly. Quite remarkable, really. Yeah, and there's still all sorts of negative things. Anger and bitterness bring about disease. Yeah. And so giving that over to God and then replacing the anger and bitterness with feelings of pity and mercy towards the wrongdoer. It doesn't mean that we, you know, have all of these affectionate feelings of love for them. Right. Uh but it means that we have a pitying love for them. I think it's a very much the same way that, that God loves erring, uh, his erring creation. Sure. He pities them because he recognizes they could do so much better if they would but trust in him and live the lifestyle that he recommends. And there was pity in the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Yeah. There was, there was pity involved in that. Yeah. And then having the attitude of mercy where we recognize, you know, we haven't been perfect in our life, and uh, we might have even wronged some other individuals at at some point in time, and, um, and, you know, we haven't been cast away and and buried beneath the earth because of all this. And so uh, taking a more merciful uh, stance towards um, those that have wronged us. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have to pay the penalty sure. for what they did, yeah. um, you know, but it means that we are releasing um, that anger and bitterness and all of the issues that it's caused us in giving that over to God. 
You've mentioned Weimar University a couple of times. So let's, let's talk about Weimar University. Tell me a little bit about Weimar's history, what it is, where it is, and, and what it's about. So Weimar University is a, a health, comprehensive health college. Of course, we have business programs, and we have religion, education programs, but we also have nursing programs, a medical missionary course called Health Evangelism Leadership Training. We train a lot of doctors and dentists there through pre-med, pre-dent programs, physical therapy uh, programs, and now starting a music program. Mm. It's a university based on the model of the School of the Prophets. There's been a lot of growth there in in recent times. I I recall from years gone by, there's been a theology program and so forth. Nursing is new. Nursing is new. Pre-med is new. Mm Pre-med. Now now music. Yeah, music. And now psychology, counseling. Psychology. We we now have masters. The reason why it's a university is a graduate level program. So we have masters that can lead to being a licensed counselor. Uh, which we need more of for our programs that will be established in other places, and then also a master's in religion and planting new churches and revitalizing churches using, again, uh, Christ's threefold ministry. So it's called the master's in mission and wellness uh, because Christ spent more time healing than he did preaching, and the healing, teaching, and gospel proclamation combined is where we see the most power. Mm -hmm. It's important on a university campus Christian university campus to have a strong spiritual emphasis. How have you gone about intentionally establishing a strong spiritual environment at Weimar University? One of the ways we've gone about that is to not be just inwardly focused, but outwardly focused. So every week, in fact, I'm the only, we're the only university we know of in America that does this. Our campus empties out the staff and the students go out to serve the community. Mm. It's called TCI, Total Community Involvement. And so we will do some simple things like maybe yard work or cleaning the gutters of, of homes of people that can't get out and do that. Or we will uh, put on maybe community health programming for them. And uh, there, were, so there was a site where we did a community depression and anxiety recovery. We went to the homeless shelter and put on an Optimize Your Brain program for the, for the homeless shelter attendees and enhancing their emotional intelligence. Uh, and uh, we also have uh, children's uh, programming. Uh, and uh, so it's really utilizing the threefold ministry, teaching, healing, and actually doing you know, labor acts of service uh, that have rallied uh, the community around us and uh, interestingly, at the end of each one of these TCI sessions, uh, there's a little devotion that the students and the staff put on and the ones that they've served. Uh, that uh, We do this on Wednesday, and so we actually have local Wednesday night prayer meetings in the homes that we have served. What impact do you see this having on young people? Oh, it's had a tremendous impact. Yeah, because they see the positive results in others who were not even interested in spiritual things. Now having that spiritual awakening and they're able to interface uh, with them and uh, help them on their spiritual life. And when we do that for others, we're helping our own spirituality mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you satisfied with the direction of, of, of Weimar University? I, I, I don't ask that because I'm fearful you're dissatisfied. Or are there... Uh are there new mountains to climb and new vistas to seek out? Where's Weimar going? 
Well, when you're doing things that are that positive, you need to realize that in this world of, of sin, we're, we're going to be attacked. Sure. And so uh, uh, have we uh, been attacked as the devil tried to attack us? Oh, yes, in numerous ways. But as we withstand uh, every one of these attacks, we actually grow stronger. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm very positive about the trajectory of Weimar University. Our staff is, is coalescing, uh, very united. We're getting uh, better uh, staff, better students as well. Uh, student enrollment going up. We're needing to build new dorms. Uh, and, uh, and Weimar is one of the, one of the best-kept secrets of North America at this point. And yeah. somebody doesn't know where, where Weimar University is located. Tell us, tell us where this, this place is nestled. Uh, it's about 45 minutes from the Sacramento airport on the foothills of the Sierras. So it's basically between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, one of the most beautiful uh, sections of the country. And a lot of fresh air with those evergreen mountain oh, sure. trees and all those beautiful uh, uh, trees that, that, that bloom so nicely every yeah. year at Weimar. Look around the world. Now, you, you, you look at the, from the vantage point of being an educator, mm-hmm. a health educator, physician, mm-hmm. Christian, mm-hmm. You know, husband and father and grandfather and so forth. Um, as you see the direction this world is going, you could choose to be discouraged, depressed, for the want of a better word. But let me see if I can ask you about it from this point of view. Do you believe that the trajectory this world is on, while in a certain sense makes it challenging for the Christian church to get about its job, do you see this as a time of opportunity? Oh, absolutely. what are you seeing that suggests this is a time of great opportunity? Because, you know, while we bemoan the state of the world, and there's a lot to bemoan, I wonder if we're not doing a little, much, little too much navel-gazing and failing to recognize God might, in fact, be presenting us with a great opportunity. Oh, How do you see that? Describe that for me. Oh, well, we know, for instance, from Bible prophecy, that there's going to be a great multitude that comes in at the time of the end. Yes. And that great multitude is going to come in as his people utilize his threefold ministry. And I think Christ's healing ministry is actually starting to grow and flourish and will grow and flourish that much more. One of the prophecies predict that medical missionary work of Christ will circle the globe as the waters cover the sea. Mm. And so what we're doing in microcosm at Weimar and other places, I think will start to grow significantly. Even what we've been doing in the public school systems and private school systems on emotional health, since when would there was has there ever been a curriculum right. such as that it's in dramatic. the school systems? Yeah. And so uh, I see very positive things happening in the future. And I see a, a lot of uh, great things happen. And we're also told as a result of those great things happening, the devil will muster his forces yes. and counterattack yes. to try to silence all of the great things that are happening. Yeah. You know, Paul and Silas, they were taken against their will in prison because they were changing the economies of cities. Yes. And when we are start doing God's will so much that people are changing what they're buying and changing to healthy food instead of unhealthy food and all of that, 
Will there be a backlash? Absolutely there will be a backlash. And we're told that Christ will actually come and rescue his people from that huge backlash before they totally annihilate the good people and that's when the second coming will come. Mm. So how can you know? How can you not be positive about that? Yeah, you've got to be positive about that. You know that's happening. Yeah, great time of opportunity. We're living in an exciting time. It seems to me that we're living at the time that the patriarchs and the prophets would have loved to have lived in. Exactly. We're living down here in the end of in the end of time, and and Jesus must surely be coming back soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, fantastic. I've really enjoyed being able to speak with you again i'm so grateful that you've taken your time and and shared from your heart undoubtedly really exciting times look i i imagine that you're seeing in the lives even of students who are seeing the times in which we live hearing the call of god on the heart and taking hold of 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 a, of that calling and pressing it forward are, are you seeing that happening great things in the lives of young people Absolutely. Yeah, Weimar University, we see very positive uh, college students whose lives used to be in shambles, some uh-huh. of them. So many of them transfer in from other places. And they get a happy look on their face as they see the positive changes happening in people that come to Weimar, as they see the positive changes happening in the total community involvement. Mm-hmm. And then they see the positive changes taking place in them. Yeah. And then, of course, they're getting some of the best job opportunities coming out of there because hospitals and systems want to hire people like them that are positive change agents in their community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's, it's a real joy to be interfacing with students on a daily basis at a place like Weimar University. Well, Dr. Nelly, it's a great time to be alive. Jesus is coming back soon. He's called all of his people to be on the front lines of ministry. We have a wonderful message to share a savior to share, a healing message to share, physically, emotionally, and spiritually as well. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it immensely. Thank you, John, for having me. I've enjoyed it. And thank you. Wonderful to see you. It has been an absolute joy. With Dr. Neil Nedley, I'm John Bradshaw, and this has been our conversation.